I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, the 2021 British and Irish Lions toured South Africa. It's just around the corner and we'll have you covered every step of the way, starting with the first warm-up match this weekend against Japan. Ahead of the tour, lots of question marks surrounding South Africa, but they've not played a game since winning the World Cup way back in 2019. But one man who will know about the threat the Springboks could offer is the current England's forward coach, Matt Proudfoot. He was the assistant coach for South Africa's 2019 World Cup winning side and he'll be joining with us to discuss the Lions series as well as England's up-and-coming tour this summer. Away from the Lions, if the uh, Bristol-Quins game wasn't the best club game I've seen, premiership game I've ever seen, it was certainly in the top one. An astonishing comeback from 28-0 down to beat Bristol, earn themselves a spot in the final. Ben Coles was there for Telegraph and he'll join us a little later to relive what was an incredible afternoon at Ashton Gate. And as ever, we'll be answering all your questions too. Delighted to say that alongside me, particularly with uh, what's coming up, uh, again is the former South African captain and, let's not forget, World Cup winner, Bob Skidsad. Bob, um, I recently spoke to John Schmidt, who told me that the appetite for this Lions series was massive. What, what, what's your take on that? Oh, I, I agree with him, um, Brian. I think... There's, there's been uncertainty because of you know, current extenuating circumstances, let's say, around the world. But certainly for the last four years, everybody's been licking their chops. You know, everyone loves the Lions coming to town. They, they love the, the fact that there's the sort of harking back to touring rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the younger players and, and, let's say, development, South Africa A and those South African barbarians get to, to play games against him. The provincial sides get to play against him. Um, and then the test match, you know, we've, we've been really lucky that a couple of times that the Lions have toured in the last couple of years, it's been, they've been taking on the world champions yep. and they're taking them on again. So it's, it's really a, a tour and a, um, a sort of a focus for South African um, fans that's, that's been a long time coming. Well, from over here, uh, we, it's been alleged we don't even get the true picture in this country about what's going on with COVID. Um, but... Certainly with South Africa, we have no real idea what's going on on the ground. And I wondered if you had uh, more of an idea with uh, your insight and just how the thing shifted. And, and because originally I thought, yeah, let's tour because mm. Lions were touring side. Mm. And then when I saw games played without crowds and then I saw with crowds, I, th- I changed my mind and thought, look, if we can get a half full or even a third full over here, which will include a lot of box fans because there are a lot of box fans over here, yep. then that would be preferable. And I was actually quite surprised when it went back to um, what I'd originally thought. I mean, you saw it going up and down and coming yep. to and fro. How did that all relate to what you were, to what you were, were hearing from, from everyone over there? 
Well, I mean, you make a great point. You know, there's something that you sort of want in your heart and then you try and impose that on, on the current situations. doesn't always work. I mean, caveat, I'm, you know, I'm not medical. I, I can't say where the rates are of, of infection, et cetera, in South Africa. I know that the number of uh, vaccinations is very low uh, in, in terms of a, a comparable to, to the UK. And I do know that, that there, there is a bit of a feeling of, of that recently schools have locked down again and – um, you know, I've got a lot of friends of mine who are saying for the first time they're feeling it. You know, South Africa, remember, there, there isn't the public transport system that, that you have here in the upper echelons of, of sort of working society. So a guy like me going to work on a, on a train and a tube here in the UK, that doesn't really happen in South Africa. You're in the bubble of your own car, etc. cetera. Um, and, and people won't necessarily be as close to each other. So I think the first wave or two, they didn't really feel the same pressure to isolate etc as we do and now suddenly i'm getting from my friends family my mum you know they're saying wow this person's sick that person's sick there's the you know there isn't access to beds etc and i'm going sure but maybe actually this is better without fans you know because i know that the lines yeah. will be in a bubble the Springboks will be in a bubble and have been in a bubble for a long time but i'm ambivalent i'm, I'm not sure i went to parker scarlet's the other day for one of these rainbow cup fixtures you know and I, we started the game looking out over the field. The players were there. There wasn't a single fan. There was management from each team, and it was, it was like a training run. Mm. But they'd started. There was a kickoff. You know, it was a bone-crunching tackle. You, tackle. you could hear it from 50 meters away. You know, usually the crowd would be behind that. So there's an element to me that feels sorry for the players. Um, I, do, I am glad it's going ahead. I would have rather it, we got this all behind us, but when will it be behind us? So, so I, in, in a way, I think I'm delighted that at least the players will get to see South Africa, the fans will get to see rugby, you know, and those are the well, ones. The thing is, to if they don't go, people are saying, "Oh, we'll just swap it with us." We can't just do that. No, no, you because can't. because they want it. As on, you know, and it's you, 100 you, you years you of history may, and legacy. Well, you may, right. the, you may have missed it for twelve you know, years. Well, another, well, yeah. you know, another eight. And, yeah, you know, exactly. And so, so you you talk about two generations of players. Yeah, your memories of the. Lion Series and South Africa made your debut shortly after the '97 tour. Yeah, uh, we are close to making this the, the well, side. You talk about a generation of players missing it. So I made my debut in '97 after the Lions tour, which was in the middle of the year that year, um, and that was over here. And then I retired after 2007, and they came back in 2009. So I played one game against the Lions for my province. Yep, um, lost the game, but. Uh, uh, Connor O'Shea, I think it was, made a made a um, fantastic, you know, sidestep, scored a try. Western Pro, I think it was thirty two eighteen or thirty two twenty. Uh, met a lot of the players in for the very first time and have become friends with them forever. So I love the concept of the Lions. Um, I, I was watching that game and saying to myself, you know, this is something we should be winning. There was a disorganised team at the time, um, a bit of a shambles in South African rugby and presidents and all that kind of. And Coral Duplessis was the coach. He got kicked out shortly shortly afterwards, but. Um, and, and the Lions famously won a fantastic series, you know. So I watched all of the test matches and, and loved it to bits. I don't like losing much, a, a bit like yourself, so I won't apologize for that. <laughs> but it, it certainly kept the, the spirit of the Lions and the touring Lions idea alive. You know, they'd knocked over the world champions. Well, we were talking, you hinted about this. So the Springboks, they've not played since 2019. Now, Argentina showed when they went and beat the All Blacks after not playing for a year, that you know you can start hitting the ground running. And I would imagine that the way that South Africa work, and I don't and this is not a derogatory, Tim, the simplicity of their game, mm, you know, mm. the, the 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 nature uh, the the physical nature of their game, 
uh, you know, lends itself, you know, to, to being able to bring back quickly. But this is the point. You mentioned the completely different atmosphere with not playing, with playing in with no fans. Mm. Now, we were chatting before and you were saying that some of the Bulls who played the weekend, some four of their players had never played in front of a crowd. And uh, certainly a lot of the Springboks might have played with no crowds for their various clubs or provinces, mm. but as a side together, not at all. No, well, I mean, you're right. You well, know, I, so have, I, I was lucky enough to watch this Rain- Rainbow Cup final. Benetton knocked the Bulls over. I mean, Benetton have not won against the South African provincial side. They, they've had a few okay results in the Rainbow Cup, but they didn't win a game in the Pro 14. Yeah. And they pull, put a, a performance on the, on the field, which was extraordinary. But, you know, De- Benetton had 1,400 supporters in a little 5,000-seater stadium. It was electric. It was just yeah. amazing to be there with a yeah. crowd behind. And I think that was all the difference. And I watched these wide-eyed kids from Pretoria come onto the field. They'd, they'd never, ever played in front of a crowd. And they've been playing at Loftus, which can hold 50,000 people. Oh, well, I mean, iconic venue. Isn't it? I mean, to, to, be, to, be, to be able to see like a Marie Celeste won it when there was no one in there. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, so, I mean, we were just talking about, people say, Oh, surely it didn't make that much difference. And oh, it I, definitely does. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you do something well and a crowd cheers you for every single thing that you do well, you throw the ball in straight, which is what you're supposed to do, and you catch it and there's a cheer. Yeah. And a, a kick goes up and it's caught. Oh, and you well, knock people over the chair. Everything it sustains you, doesn't it? In a way that you, I, I can't explain it. You know, fully. What you, maybe you can do better? No, but it, it, think about it. If, if you're watching a high school rugby game and things, you know, they're ten points behind, but it's there's ten fifteen minutes to go, and suddenly someone makes a break, and there's a bit of a ripple of applause amongst the parents, and then and then that try is scored, and now you're three points behind, and and you get you can actually just feel the sixteenth man almost, oh. you know, sort of immerse himself in the team on the ground. Now, you think about, in this particular game, Italian supporters who haven't watched rugby for 15 months, and Treviso is a rugby-mad town, as you know. They were, they were um, celebrating, hooting, clapping every backward step from the Bulls. So any mm. line-out drive, the tackle, whatever, and I, it definitely made a difference, and I think it will make a difference in these games. I just don't know, and we haven't been given the exact format. Will there be half a stadium full of people. Will there be a quarter? Will there be 3,000 people, 5,000 people? And oh, they so that, is that still up, is that still up for haven't, grabs? They haven't declared the, the, the final numbers. Because even, even 5,000 supporters... It would be massive. The problem is massive. South Africa are going back in, backwards in terms of infections, so they right, might say okay. nobody. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. It's going to make a difference, but we just, we just don't know how much... Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on on the Lions squad? There's been a bit of comment from from one outlet in South Africa. You can't, you can't take this as a, as gospel for the whole people. Describing the Lions pack of back row players um, as hobbits because of their size <laughs> and uh, and agility. Well, hobbits turned out to be quite useful in the end, didn't they? Um, well, but, exactly. Uh, you know, but, um, um, if we're on a quest to find the <laughs> ring, no, no. Look, I, I I completely and utterly disagree with that because I think I've you know I've watched the England lose forward. Look, Simmons. Um, his inclusion, having not really played international, is irrelevant to me. The premiership standard is so high. The, the games he's been playing, I mean, yes, he's a, a try-scoring forward, but if you just watch the, the contributions, the offloads, the tackles, um, and then you look at the – you know, watch Hamish Watson and the effect he had on some of the games in, mm. in, in the competitive internationals that we've seen. It doesn't matter how big you are. If, you, if, if, if Hamish Watson is a hobbit, I promise you he's going to nick the ball <laughs> off, off, off um, South Africa. What I'm more concerned about is that, is that if, if that is the sentiment among some of the news um, 
sort of journalists in, in, in South Africa, then they're missing the whole point. I mm. don't think that's a sentiment in the squad or with Rassi Erasmus. So I wouldn't worry too much about what's being said in, in the papers there. I think they've missed the point. They've said, oh, we're going to get our big, strong, loose forwards and we're gonna, you're going to smash over them. I, l- I heard a lovely quote this week. They said they were, um, in, in the words used to describe Archie Sneeman and others, flimsy will not be needed. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I thought that's a lovely way. Yeah. And then I saw a picture of him playing in Japan with his scrum off next to him. He didn't even go up to his belly button. So, yeah. Yes, they're big men, and yes, they're strong. But like you've said before, and, and, and I agree, the big men, the tall timber still comes crashing down when you go around the ankles. Mm. And if they can't lift a Hamish Watson or someone off competing a ball, you know, they're going to they're gonna steal that ball. I mean, remember... Well, if, you, if you go back, you, you go... I mean, South Africa have always had big forwards. Yeah. They've always had big players. Exactly. That's just happened as a race. Um, you go back to the the 97 things, the historical things, and you play players uh, you know, relatively uh, dwarf-like, not even hobbits, dwarfs, um, like Tom Smith, you know, who, who turned out to be, you know... A One of the greatest of the ever, exactly. You know, the, these sort of things do happen. I just do. I just wonder about... Because when you've got players like Tipperick, Tipperick, very clever player, mm. very good footballer, Curry also, you know, um, when, he, when he makes the right decisions and so on, they pose a different challenge to just the physical aspect. Um, and I just wonder whether the box will take that on board or they'll say, right, tell you what, we won't worry about you, you won't worry about us. You stop us first mm-hmm. and we'll worry about you if we need to. Mm. Will it be that way around or will they be a bit of a precursor to, I don't know? No, I, th- I mean, I think you make a good point. Where I think you've got it exactly right is guys like Tipperick are an incredible link between the forwards and the backs. Mm. So the forwards can do their job. The 9 and 10... We'll, we'll get it to the outside backs. But if you're in third, fourth, and fifth phase, you need a skilled loose forward to do something. Mm. That It might be a one-handed offload that, that releases you know, a, a Williams outside him. Or, and, and we saw some of the famous tries in New Zealand where um, the, the last pass inside was to a flanker who'd been waiting, or, you know, almost um, just knowing that his only job in this whole thing was going to be to carry the ball for the last meter that you needed to mm. score the try. And, and Tiprick, for me, is very clever. He links the Welsh um, backs and, and forwards. And if you can play all of those loose forwards in a similar role, South Africa will know they've, they've not only got to knock you back on your set piece, but they've got to be aware for five, six, seven, sometimes ten phases that these, these clever and skilled loose forwards can play a bigger role as well. England suffered badly in the scrum in the World Cup final, and that was the basis of the South African win. Only shame of day, I don't have a problem with that because mm. that's part of the game. Can you see the Brox looking at the Lions squad and thinking could do a similar job here? No. I, 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 think, I think if you look at the combination now of all the other countries coming in, where, where unfortunately you know, England suffered an injury in the first couple of seconds of that, or first couple of minutes of that game, so there was no extra person to, to mm. come on. But the Springboks had what they've they've um, sort of playfully termed the bomb squad, which was this reserve. Yeah. I mean, and you saw them; they looked oh. like kids arriving at a at a candy shop. You know, they, they could not wait to get on and just dominate that scrum for the next. You know, I think they had thirty five minutes to go or thirty two minutes to go, and they just you know. And we've seen we've seen how um, Vincent Koch and the guys have dominated here in in Premiership as well. Yep. They came on after. Um, you know the, the other players had, had taken the, the front row on for 55 minutes already. So I, I think the Springboks will know that if you add Wales and Ireland and Scotland into the mix, you're not just going to have you know Dan Cole a, against the his opposition. Yeah. Now you've got a couple of 
couple of other players coming in. You've got you've got more quality on the bench. You've got more players to draw on. So they won't be able to dominate as quickly. They'll still try and dominate, and they'll try and find cracks. But it's a different proposition. Right, time now to speak to Matt Proudfoot, uh, the England forwards coach. Welcome, Matt. Firstly, how are the preparations going for the up-and-coming summer fixtures with England? Yeah, we had a good uh, training week last week, Brian. Um, a lot of new young players into the group. A lot of a lot of excitement and enthusiasm in the training sessions. Uh, so it was good to get an opportunity to work with a lot of new players. And then the squad was announced uh, on Sunday and uh, we've been together now. What This is our second day together, so... Good to have the squad together. Um, got our hands on the players this morning and uh, got a nice line-out session this afternoon, so it's going good. I mean, you'd be worse. You'd be used to working with very experienced players and because of the way it's turned out with uh, Lions duty, you, there's 22 uncapped players. Now, that is really unusual. Um, f- and in the forwards, having a lot of uh, uncapped players uh, would seem to me to be more of a challenge. Have you got anything? Would we approach it any different because of the lack of experience or not? Ryan, you know, the, the level of forward play in the Premiership is so high that these players are coming in and they're really well conditioned, they're really well uh, versed in the arts of, of set piece and, and what it takes to play a, a similar game to, to Test Match Rugby, you know, what they play week in and week out in the Premiership. Uh, so from that perspective, there's not, you know, you they've got a great skill set. So it's about... What is our mindset, uh, and what is the plan as a collective for the pack that you that you need to put in place? So, I suppose that is new coaching because the existing players know that. Um, but it's you know it's just good to see the energy of these players. You know they they all understand that they've got an opportunity to to create a test career for themselves, and, um, and we get players that are, are well aware of, of of what they need to do to become test players, uh, and then they start working. It's an exciting experience. It's experience to be really humbled by that you're part of somebody's the birth of somebody's test career. Um, we'll be looking ahead to the Lions series, but I just wanted to get your take on South Africa. I mean, the last time they played a match, you were part of a coaching uh, team back in 2019. Um, this long delay, can you with any certainty predict what effect, if any, it will have? Look, Rusty will have them well prepared. I think that's one thing you need to understand about about Rusty is he he will have done his homework or what he needs to do. He will have created an environment where he can best prepare that team. I understand they're in they're already preparing in Bloemfontein, um, and he's following very the very similar path that I can understand as what he did for the World Cup. So their preparation will be very similar. They've got a couple of warm up games. Um, so I think I think that's that's an environment a Springbok team team is, is, is comfortable in is when, when their back's against the wall, when it's there's a bit of adversity to them and Rossi will come in and give them a clear plan and, and, and that, that bodes well for them. Matt, Bob here. Um, I, I mean, I've got to ask, I know you, you, you're mates with Rossi, you've had a professional relationship for an, a number of years. Are, are you in touch? Can, you know, is there crossover? Do you, do you know any of the background? I mean, I know Jacques is let's call it the, the poster boy in front at the moment. But if I know Rusty like I've known him for the last 20 years, there's no way he's going to let, let go of the, of the, the control uh, to the full extent that, that people think he might. Jock is a tactician in his own right. What, what do you see as Rusty lending to that party and have you heard anything from him? What I can understand, Bob, is, is, is it's more about the relationship in which they function together. 
Um, okay. Jock is very, very detailed. And I think Russ has just empowered Jock to take a day-to-day running of the team, uh, particularly around, around um, line-outs. Is that, is that line- Russ calling you? Yeah. He said, yeah. which one? <laughs> hey, shut, up. shut up. Which one? Shut up. Which one? You know, so I think I think Jock will do the, the day-to-day running of the plan, which will free Rossi up to be more strategic. Yes, um, I think where so. Where he okay. likes to be, you know, that frees headspace up that he can think about those things that are going to make a difference, um, and and then bring that in and let Jock run the, the day-to-day running of the team. They've had a, a fantastic, strong relationship since the army days. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think he's just he's just taken that to another level. Uh, I- you know, with the that, the inclusions of Dion, who's who's really experienced. Um, you know, he's worked with a lot of the South African players at age group age group level. Uh, Felix has been there for a time in the relationship they've had at Munster. So I think it's just more solidified their relationship and their working environment, um, which allows Rossi to to maybe just take a little bit of a step back and look look at things with a different perspective. That, I mean, that correlates with with my thinking. You know, people have been asking, "Is it going to change?" So Rossi's there. He's he's in a in a, in a position where you can see everything happening. What do you think they are saying about this series? What, what are they prepping for that's different to, to a, a World Cup campaign? You know, Lions is something that's completely out on its own in terms of world rugby. I think the difference is um, they've got to hit the ground running um, with the Lions campaign. Uh, you, you lose the first test, you're on the back foot. Yeah. Uh, so I think there might be a bit of a similarity with the World Cup and the All Black game, but you had, you had opportunity to build momentum Leading up to the quarterfinals, you, we knew you had to just you had to win one out of the two, uh, Italy or, or the All Blacks to to be in a quarterfinal, and then it was three big games back to back. I think the difference is your first game is is against a highly motivated Lions team in Cape Town, um, and and I think that's 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 a tough challenge. If you come out of that seven days later, you've got them again, or a couple of days later, you've got them again, um, and I think that's that's different. Um, is that you don't have time to if you if you if you if you're not on it from from minute one, mm. you don't have time to build up into a lion series. Yeah. You've got to you've got to apply pressure, and that's that's how South Africa did well uh, in the previous lion series. You know, for that first game, they put the lions scrum under pressure, and they had the lions on the back foot. So I think Rossi will look at that as a recipe of how do how do how does he create momentum early? Well, that's something I was just going to come on to, Matt. I mean. Springboks traditionally, uh, and quite rightly so, have been linked with the physical nature of the game, you know, the the power of the uh, forward game. And I, I see no reason to go into this series without that at the forefront of the mind, not just bearing in mind the number of English players or being playable that might be in the pack and the success of what happened in the World Cup final. But that's an, an, a relatively easier organisational trait, you know, to get the, the, the rote sessions of lineouts and scrums there. And when you've been successful, to put the pressure on there, because if you can get on top, and, the, and, the, and this Lions test, you know, the, the, the squad to me looks talented in lots of ways, but it doesn't look overtly physical. You know, and I would think if South Africa would get into the right mood and say, right, all right, let's just climb into you and see what you've got. I think the difference is, Brian, is that I think Gats and his and his team, in particular Robin McBride, understand very well what the Springboks will bring. I think if you look at the Springbok team selection, you understand where the challenge is going to be. I think, you know, the World Cup was a little bit different. I don't think people had... You know, they didn't take notice where the poor game against Wales 
played um, Japan in the quarterfinal. Before that, it was Italy. So that was the that was the run into to you know to to the final. Um, and I think this time Gats and, and and Robin understand exactly what what South Africa will bring. If you look at their team selection, they're not hiding any facts. They're not going to change their winning recipe. That is what they're going to do. And knowing the Springbok environment, um, they, they've got a saying, the bear's in your boat, you've got to stop it. You know, So that's going to be the challenge is, 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 how, is how the two packs match up to each other. And having coached in the Northern Hemisphere and experienced the, the, the intelligence and how the balance between power, forcefulness and intelligence is, is coached in the Northern Hemisphere, it's going to be a very tough series. That the 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 forward play is going to be very very highly contested. Matt, in in um, the two thousand and nine line series, there was there was a real famous dominance from the Springboks in the first twenty or twenty five minutes in, in the scrum. You guys enjoyed a, a very similar dominance in the World Cup final. Is it an anchor of what the books need to do? They need to need to really try and make sure that they've got an opportunity to dominate there, or is it an overall physicality that you're talking about? Are you talking about you know all the tight five, or is this a front row aspect as well? No, Bob. I think um, I think it's a total pack tom- uh, domination that they'll be looking for. That, that okay. you know, going into the World Cup, um, the, the the more was very important to South Africa, mm. but we knew you couldn't only rely on the more. Um, and particularly having played England in the in the Test series in 2018, they were so successful in in, in nullifying our, our more. We had to build a second platform to apply pressure, um, and 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 I think that that's a total pack mentality. That's not just the front row or the tight five, or it's a total pack mentality. And and I think that's that's clear in in Jock and, and Rice's team selection. I think if you listen to the to the subliminal conversations and, and communication that's coming out of that camp. Uh, that is what's been said very clearly, mm. you know, and, and, and so that's coming. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very, well, I hope to be back in South Africa at that stage and uh, just be able to experience that, you know, that whole buildup, you know, having had a foot in either camp and being able to pick up what each one is saying and, and knowing, you know, what they're preparing for. I think that's going to be just an exciting challenge. Um, the the back row is always, you know, an interesting uh, conundrum, usually seminal. And one of the things that I think shocked England in the World Cup final was, you know, single South Africans were wrecking, you know, whole uh, breakdowns and they couldn't get them off the ball and they had to commit more people and sometimes it was too late and by that point everything was static. And you've got, you've got different styles of players, clever players like Tipperick and so on around Around the yeah. breakdown, so it's a slightly different challenge. Will it? Will it be? Will it be again? You know, relying on from a box point of view. Do you think relying on the sheer physical presence, or will they be looking to be a bit cuter? Right. I think. I think what they do is what they do, Brian. You know, it depends on on if, whether Dwayne's availability. Uh, I think a lot hinges on Dwayne's availability, the way that they'll approach the breakdown. Um, I, I think. The, the four loose forwards that played at that period, Francois Lowe, Sia, Peter Steff and Dwayne had very specific roles. Um, and I, I think if you look at where Tom Curry has grown to, uh, you know, uh, Toby, Falatau, Tipperick, you know, Dad Byrne, who's going to be in the back row, who's going to be six? I, I think that's going to be a big selection for, yeah. a big selection point for the Lions, who, who they're going to pick at six. You know, who's going to, who's going to, 
who's going to round off that loose forward combination? Who's going to be the guy coming off the bench? Is it going to be a Simmons coming off the bench to add something different? You know, that, that, that those are going to be very, very big selections um, because you, you, you have to be able to confront what, what the South Africans do in the contact situation. Um, and there the six is going to be a crucial selection, a very, very crucial selection. Uh, Matt, now we could go on a long, long time, but I hear you're being called by the RFU. But thank you very much for spending the time. Uh, really interesting. Let's, uh, well, we're, we're all looking forward to it. So let's hope you get back there and you can see it live. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ron. You keep well. Thank Bob, you. keep well. Thank you very much. Well, they've named a 46-man squad. Mm. Includes every available member of the 2019 World Cup squad. Mm. Um, I don't imagine there'll be too many changes. Um, and I also wonder this, you know, when the game was virtually won against England, we then saw, you know, the uh, talents of the outside backs who, you know, have brought something different to them. Do you think that they might be looking to bring them in earlier in the game or will it simply be again, let's see what we do up front and let's then, then we'll go from there? I mean, there's two questions there. The one is the... You know how much of that squad is going to be the same? I think eighty twenty. I think right. there's eighty percent of that twenty nineteen starting lineup, injuries notwithstanding, w- would be close to the squad. He might try and prop it up with a few, again bigger, beefier forwards if he needs them, or faster, skillful outside backs. And how, then, how important is Dwayne Vermeulen in all this? Problem is Dwayne Vermeulen's a little bit of a um, a problem for me because. He is the essence of this team. He's been through the lows with this team. He went overseas. He came back. He committed to South African rugby. He won the World Cup. I mean, he basically was the guy who said, I don't want to be the skipper at all. I just want to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, Sia Khaleesi came in and was... was That's fa- a very rare player. That was a rare player. And, and, and Sia Khaleesi was famously so um, emotionally overtaken by, by Dwayne being part of this and just basically being his 2IC who took none of the plaudits but, but did all the hard work with him, if you know what I mean. And that's an amazing relationship. It is, yeah. If he's out, who steps into Dwayne's role? So, so that is a factor for me. There are a couple of players. Peter Steftatoy, I think, is really, you know, he, he, his first game back in this Rainbow Cup, he was, he was far and away the best player on the field. But he's had, an, he's had a really bad uh, time of it. He's been off the field for 11 months. So nothing here is going to be easy. Um, that said... If these guys are rested enough and, and they, they are able to play some time together, I think they're going to be able to at least repeat a bit of what they had at the mm. World Cup and, and maybe a bit more than that. You know, they, and, and there's a couple of those players missing. Pollard's back. He's done well in the French League again. If he's at top of his game, he's, he's a match for any fly-off in the world, you know, and, he's, and he's proved that. So there's a number of players in those positions who can do that. Well, let's look at the dynamics of the series because – you have the warm-up games. You don't have as many as you used to have. Um, so there's a, the, the phony war doesn't go on for as long. And um, we talked about Proudford about this. And, you know, it, that first test, the Lions, I'm, and I can say this, I'm quite proud of it, actually. I, I was part of the 89 squad. who were the only Lions, modern Lions uh, touring squad ever to lose a first test and win a series. That's how difficult it is as yeah. a tourist wow. if you go down on the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all important, uh, and it sets the tone for that. Um, can you see anything in the lack of pre- well, lack of normal preparation um, from the spiritual point of view that might affect that dynamic? You know, the, the 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 imperative to win the first one, and the the way in which you have to be flexible and 
and either swallow defeat or or build on victory mm. thereafter. I mean, I think it's not just me who sees this, not just you, because the 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 administration have been all hands to the pumps to try and get decent games. Mm. They've managed to secure two games against Georgia. I'm not taking anything away from Georgia, who've got an amazing scrummaging outfit and have dominated a lot of teams in that area. But Georgia aren't Wales or Ireland mm. or somewhere else where you would have had a a, a set of warm-up matches and, and you could really have tested yourself. They could have had a rugby championship game or two against yeah. the best in the world. So I think that the administration, certainly the coaches um, sort of group, are saying we might need more together. So, so they've, they've had a bit of a north versus south trial type game. They've, I think they'll have a lot of live training. I think they'll have a lot of... T- t- um, 20-minute chuckers of training. You know, you play 80 minutes, but you have a little break in between and then you reassess things. Um, and besides that, they'll be saying, where else can we can we get the preparation? And that has to be just in the video, in the prep, in, in knowing what's coming at you. Um, the bit, the bit, surprising, this, a, a recall from Morningstein. Uh, you know, he, he kicked the winning penalty in 2009, but he'd be 37. Um, yeah. Surely not. Well, look, he's he's third or fourth fly half in a squad. Russi has known him for a long time. He knows what he can give. I mean, you know, he's he was player of the season overseas. He's done. He's gone back to the to the Bulls and dominated everybody, kicking out of hand. He he doesn't look thirty seven. Put it that way. Phil, I don't think he's going to be your starting fly half. But I tell you what, I'd rather toss him the ball with ten minutes to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, if he, if oh. if Pollard Pollard hurts a. Um, I tell you what, people forget. You know, I I, I remember being uh, being in Ireland when when that uh, penalty was awarded. I remember saying to the crowd in the you know question and answer session afterwards, of all the things that Ron Nagara could or should or might have done. He did the one that he shouldn't have done. Mm. He could have done anything else, and he would probably be all right. But that that f- because it was a successful kick, people forget how bloody difficult that kick was. Yeah, yeah well, and and that's the pressure. So yeah. Morneau Stain has done that. He, he's done it against the Lions. He's done it, you know, in and around the Springboks for nine years. I mean, he's won three Super Rugby titles. Mm. Um, he's broken the record for most points in, in most of the tournaments and leagues he's played in. So, look, I've got a lot of respect for him. He's a, also, he's a bloody nice guy. <laughs> he's, he's just one of those guys who's, who's a good... But just think about it. If five or six or seven minutes to go, Pollard goes down with an ankle and Rassi goes, well, we need someone to get us the three points to draw this game or, or win mm-hmm. us this game. We've got Morneau staying on the bench. Are you putting him on? I certainly am. Absolutely fantastic weekend of playoff rugby in the Gallagher Premiership. I thought this would go this way when Sale couldn't knock over Exeter last week when they got they caught him a bit short uh, and they didn't secure home advantage. I thought it would be a bit too much, and so it turned out. You know, Exeter, um, although Sale you know battled hard, I thought Exeter always had that bit extra, and so it turned out. But uh, Ashton Gate, Bristol Harlequins. Um, what an extraordinary, extraordinary game that was. Ben Coles, the Telegraph rugby reporter, he was there. Ben, what was it like? Hi, Brian. It was uh, it was fairly extraordinary. Um, partly because where we were sort of sat in the in the press area, you had a section of Harlequin supporters to our right, about five hundred of them, I would say, um, just making the most fantastic noise. You know what? I've never heard five hundred. 
middle-aged, middle-class people ever be as loud. <laughs> it, it, it was astonishing, honestly. They were from even from the very early stages of that first half, where they were about twenty-one nil down or twenty-eight nil down. They was they were still making a fantastic noise, and, and that probably added to um, just what was an incredible spectacle. I, I mean, we, we've had some silly comebacks this season in the Premiership already. I mean, even in the last month, I think we had wasps at. London Irish and next to it Northampton, but this was this was just unbelievable and and yeah, comfortably the, the game of the season, it, it, and it would be in many other seasons as well. Uh, I tell you what, uh, I, momentum. People, you know, some people say momentum is a thing that doesn't exist in in sport. It's, it's tell you it is. It, oh, it does exist absolutely. And and and, and recognising is going against you, knowing what to do about it and doing it is one of the hardest things in the world. But also the other, and Pat Lamb described it in a different sort of way during the. Match, he was saying, well, we had our purple patch, they're in their purple patch. We've got to make sure that theirs is less than ours. And what people miss was in the four tries that went over, three conversions didn't go over. Uh, and when you're looking at the final score at full time, you know, but Quinn's just got there to get it into full time, the draw, and then at, you know, and then at the extra time full time, the margin for error, you know, that was just a couple of those. Uh, and so... Um, you know, Bristol, and actually, to be fair to them, not, not, not a lot of their fans made much about the high tackle incident at the end. When they were down to 13 men, I don't think they'd go on the length of the field anyway. But they didn't lose that game because of that decision. You know, there were other reasons for that. And not just, you know, and not just the ones where you say they didn't resist the Queen's momentum, where they didn't make enough of what they should have done. And I thought at the time, if Dobbrand hadn't have gone over they would have walked that game, but he did. And was there, yes. any, was there any feeling about about the significance of that at the time? No, no nothing at all, because it, it was such a it was such a bizarre try. Sort of, I mean, Max Malins and Bristol had been pretty much perfect in that first half. And yes, then just misses a high kick, and, and then Domrem runs one in. And I don't think I, I don't know necessarily at the time if Bristol fans were starting to get twitchy at that point because the, their side had basically played the, the perfect first half hour of rugby and. And looked as though they could score. I mean, well over fifty points if they were going to carry on that way. But, but when, but when Tyrone Green went over at the start of the second half and he sort of rolled over, sp- spun his way over under the post for a try. Yeah, I mean that must have been when that, that that must be when you start getting a bit nervous. And and then the James Trism try, which is just the most bizarre. Andy Uren's pass just sort of ballooning into the air, and all of a sudden Chisholm's got it, and he's over by the post. That and then yeah, then it was. But it was chaos, frankly. Well, I'll tell you when I, I, I thought Bristol fans might get a bit worried. And when I thought as an ex-Queens captain, and, you know, trying to keep relatively neutral, but having the fans a bit on my side, was this. And he had an extraordinary aim, Joe Marler, who was still knocking people down at the end of regular time and, and lasted all but five minutes of, 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 the, of the whole game, including that. When he put John Afford backwards in that scrum, you know, in sort of a couple of you know, sort of quarter way through the second half, I thought this is a really big point because Quinns do not do this to sides normally. They don't dominate mm-hmm. up front, and that became as a shock to Bristol. And I thought this is a very significant point because I thought as a player, if I was in that front row and I was in that pack or in the Quinns backs, I would look at that and think this is really, really something because now we've got a physical, we've got a physical edge here. And they and towards the end of the game. They looked the fresher side all the way through, not just because of the momentum, but can I ask you this? There's been a lot made about Quinn's uh, coaching setup, not having a director of rugby, but also having fewer contact sessions. 
I don't know if that's right. Um, I don't know whether they will describe anything to it, but they, they certainly look fresher to me. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, the fact that you've got Joe Marler pulling a 93, 95-minute shift as a lucid prop and, and, and Danny Kerr was was on well into the 90 minutes as well. Yeah, that does suggest that they have been sort of monitoring their players a lot better. And, and that is a transition that has come with the change in direction that they had with their coaching staff as well. They've sort of, the, the whole the whole project has been fascinating over the last six months because they haven't done it in the conventional way. There hasn't been a head coach. It's sort of been by committee with all these assistants and a, and a general manager and by senior players. And, and part of that, I think, has been resting up a bit more in training, not sort of, overdoing and overexerting themselves and, and it did seem as though it, it, it shone through at the end I mean some of the some of the performances were, were astonishing and I felt for Bristol as well because their their, their players were just were, were exhausted I mean Harry Thacker could barely walk having had to sort of play 80 minutes plus I think out of position in the back row um, you could just see the exhaustion I, I would also point out that Charles Piertel going off on, on 42 minutes yeah, 43 big... minutes for, for an HA that was huge I think because he'd been producing arguably his best performance for Bristol, slicing through in the first half. And I think when they lost him and then they gradually sort of other senior players sort of went off, Dave Atwood went off, Nathan Hughes went off. You could just sort of sense that they were maybe losing a little bit of the direction which Quinns through care and and Marcus Smith actually seemed to just be growing in confidence with. Uh, one last question. Um, Exeter there. Now, they've been there and done that. And I wrote to, in the Telegraph that it does take time to be able to come to terms with what need what's needed in the playoffs. And I think the loss for Bristol is is a similar to the ones that Saracens suffered, the ones that Exeter suffered on their way to be coming these two hegemonous clubs. And I'm sure Bristol will learn if they keep the recruitment policies up and they keep the standards up. Um, I would make uh, Exeter's favourites for the final with the big caveat that, you know, if Quinns do start to cut loose, then they're capable of doing anything, but this is a, this is the point. England almost nil New Zealand can't do it again two weeks later. How is that the same with the Quins? You think? I definitely think there's a contrast in styles between how they play, and, and I think facing Bristol and the way that Bristol likes to play with the width that Bristol play with and that sort of more open style definitely suited Quins. Um, which is why you saw Louis Liner and Tyrone Green in particular play exceptionally well, and Joe March, to be fair. I, I think with Exeter and their power game and the way they are set up, I think that will be that will be a big challenge for Harlequins. If they, to get parity there at a minimum is going to be a massive challenge. And, and that's not to say that they can't do it. I mean, we just talked about Joe Marler with John Arthur, but I do feel that Exeter, with the experience factor, and just the way that they're able to dominate sides at the set piece, that, that's really going to test Harlequins and, and might just be the difference in the final. I've just been thinking and mulling over the, you know, Saracens securing their spot back into um, um, the Premiership, winning the Championship. Um, it was a big win over, over Ealing. With these other sides starting to play the kind of rugby that, that Saracens dazzled us with, you know, f- over the last five, six, seven years, are, are they are they just going to come gliding back in, or are they going to are they going to find that this is something that they've really got to shore up the playing numbers and 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 I suppose have have more difficult matches in front of them in in the future. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's it's almost as intriguing as when they went down to the championship and sort of wondering how they how they get on against the, the likes of Cornish Pirates and, and those sort of teams. And now coming back, whether anything has changed, I, I quite liked their social media stuff on 
I think yesterday after they won, I think all the photos they put up had the tagline like "Did you miss us?" With a question mark <laughs> because because I think they're gonna they're gonna come in and and for them they will want to they will just want to carry on where they left off. Um, it's almost been like a season of purgatory in the championship, and they want to come back and and just and continue where they are. And the fact that so many players are coming back, um, Max Malins and Ben Earl at Bristol are great examples of yeah. players who've gone away from Saracens on loan. Had had pretty brilliant seasons, yeah, and and are now coming back to just bolster the squad, and and there's loads of those players sort of coming back from loan spells who are going to be better off maybe for a bit of time away, and and are going to come back with a purpose, and that's to win another championship because because ultimately the mentality at Saracens is going to be we were wrong, we were wronged. I think that's how they still feel, and that's probably they the would, you... but they weren't, by the way. No, I'm, no, but, I'm, no, but it's how I'm, they position it to, yeah, for themselves. Yeah, exactly. But it, but it's the easiest bulletin board material in a changing room that you'll ever get is that this exactly. is our chance to sort of come back and prove everybody wrong. And that makes them extremely, extremely dangerous. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to um, expect Saracens to be in the playoffs next season at least. No, I mean, I mean they'll, they'll be coming back all, all guns blazing, really. We shall see. Ben, thanks very much. Thank you. Time for some fans' questions. Bob, uh, what kind of health is South Africa and rugby in currently? Because I tell you what's confusing over here. You see a couple of sides playing in this and a couple of sides playing in that mm. and the things move up and down and then because of COVID it's been disjointed, the, you know, the four nations has been all over the sort of place. It's very difficult to get a handle, you know, on that, especially when you see a, a result like you said, you know, at the, 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 the weekend. Mm. Where do you think they are? Look, Brian, I mean, I'm, I have been vocal for a long time that the, the, the super rugby model of more is more just wasn't working. Yeah. You know, we had, these, we had these bloated tables, a million different permutations, 20-odd uh, teams, you know, playing each other, and, and it became boring. I really like where um, this United Rugby Championship has gone. Martin and I and his team have said, actually, less is more. Actually, we don't want to play over a test match window we don't want to play with teams that are lacking players or, or missing players yeah. we want to play quality games and and this really lends itself to that so I think South African rugby are actually you know one of the one of the sort of unintended consequences I think well I'm not saying unintended but it will be good for them they'll, they'll earn a bit more play a bit less and they'll have exposure to the international teams I, I think South African rugby if, if I look at what the reports that I hear on on the financial situation, South African rugby franchises are in trouble. You know, it's mm. it's a, a rich man's folly to own one little team and then hope that you're going to make money out of it. Too. You know, may, maybe own the league or do something like that. These, these teams have been struggling for a long time. Western Province is yeah. famously bankrupt. You know, so the Sharks have had an overseas. Quite, quite, this is like the, you know, the, the, the Welsh regions who yeah. historically have underperformed and mm. yet Wales have, you know, keep winning Grand Slams and, and contributing yeah. to the lines and so on. You can't underestimate how, just how many people, I, 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 at last count it was 400 odd, how many South Africans are playing out oh, of South it, Africa. It, so, so whatever you say, this question about the health of South African rugby in South Africa, yeah. this dimension is here. The dimension is here, and this is the first time that they're going to get a, a legitimate podium yes. to, to, to show themselves off. And I, I see these young players, you know, we saw Tyron Green play for Harlequins this, this weekend. You know, is he a contender for the box? Maybe. 
in France, there's there's 150 players who've been in and around Super Rugby, Provincial and Springbok level rugby who could easily say, oh, well, now I'll go back to the Stormers and I'll play because I'll end up playing against, you know, the Scarlets and I'll play against um, Leinster and I'll play and the I tell Big you Dance. what, you look at the sale contingent and all that sort of stuff. Very rarely do you see a South African who is a make weight, you know, just how make, making the squad numbers no, up. Doesn't happen. Doesn't the, happen. The, they, guys... are picked for, they are picked and they, they generally are the leading lights in whatever they're supposed to be doing. We had, I mean, and, and I'll get the exact numbers wrong, but we, we had some some stats come through the other day about the the quality of South African schoolboy rugby. Now, I don't know what it is that they put in the porridge, like you said, or, or, or the soil, or they grow, but the, the, the best school in New Zealand came to a national schools festival, and they got trounced 72-10 by, <laughs> you know, um, Paul Roos Gymnasium, which was the, the best team in, in South Africa for, for that year. And everyone was like, where are those players? You know, they're all pre-signed contracts in France and yep. Italy and gone overseas. So you don't see them come through the system. So there's a whole lost generation who I now think we will get to see play. Uh, this is a perennial one. Do you think uh, any of this could lead to South Africa joining the Six Nations further down the line? Well, go to the UK for a potentially one bad night's sleep and you play against Wales, Ireland, England, Scotland, you know, France, Italy... Would you rather do that or constantly be going for a nine-hour time change to New Zealand and get battered in Wellington at nine o'clock on a Saturday night? I think if they, if they get their game together, they'll play less of, that, of, of the rugby championship, as they call it, and, and more into the games here. And, and maybe that means that the autumn internationals, which were the traditional one, now leak over and you play into the, into the Six Nations championship or a maybe a qualifying version of it or something like that. I, I think those are quality test matches. Well, funny enough, I had lunch with uh, someone from, uh, from CVC. I won't mention any names. And um, let's put it this way. Nothing is off the table, shall we say. Well, and- they'd be very smart with some of their investments <laughs> yeah. in sport around the world. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see them making a bad decision on this one. Well, I'm sorry, but that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Huge thank you to my co-host, as usual, Bob Skinsat, straight to the point and points of insight as well. And to my guests, the English forward coach, Matt Proudford and Ben Coles of The Telegraph. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe? It doesn't cost you anything. Check out the previous episodes, including our ministry's Brian's Lions, where I've looked back on previous Lions tours with those who've experienced them firsthand. And let me tell you, even though I would say this, wouldn't I? They're good. They're really good. I'll be back next week to look back at the first warm-up game for the Lions. But until then, bye-bye. 